Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? What about the land? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I want my MTV. Twenty-one years. Rediscovery of the years 1980-2001. With your host, Sam Williams. Hello, you pop culture vultures. Welcome to 21 Years. As always, I'm your host, El Dangeroso. And if you're new here, welcome. And let me just tell you a little bit about the show. We explore... Things that happened between 1980 and 2001, hence the name 21 years. And we do that because simply those 21 years are some of the best in pop culture history. We have stories that were in the news. We have movies, television, music. I mean, all over the board, product placement, uh, just name it. I mean, even your Happy Meals had really great stuff in them. Arcades had really great games in them. Uh, everything was just really an overstimulation of color, uh, sound, uh, lights. It was amazing. It was an amazing time to be alive. We've got a lot of people who listen to this show who are younger, who like uh, to listen to kind of how things were back then uh, compared to now. Um, so it's a lot of fun. I know I'm a little bit behind. I got to be honest with you. Um, dealing with a little bit of a cold. I don't know what it came from. I got my first COVID shot. And um, very scared to get my second COVID shot. Everybody I know is telling me about how horrible it is and the experiences that they had. I'm really got my fingers crossed. I do have a friend, though, who is a doctor. And I will tell you guys, if you have gotten your first shot and you're nervous about your second one, he said, don't be. Simply just take a lot of ibuprofen uh, before you get it and continue to take the ibuprofen for 24 hours. And it should negate a lot of the effects that you would feel, which is achy body and and whatnot, but a little nervous about it. I I hate being sick. (laughs) So we're going to see what happens. My wife had the Johnson and Johnson one. Uh, She is a teacher. So they gave her one and uh, she had one day of feeling a little flu like, but uh, eventually rebounded very quickly and is the super mom. I know her uh, as of today. So no problem there. I just, I'm a bit of a baby, right? So I'm a little nervous about that, but I had a little cold and I did one episode. I did this actual episode once uh, before last weekend, <clears throat> going back and listening to it. I just didn't feel like it had a lot of the pizzazz that I really like to put into some of these shows. Um, I, I was like, man, you know, you really sound depressing. Let's don't do that. And I kind of changed the format too. So tonight we're going to have a lot of fun with Heritage USA. 
Um, and if you don't remember Heritage USA, you, you probably will as soon as we start talking about it. The other thing that I wanted to add is a couple of upcoming shows that we, we, we are going to be doing. One is, uh, of course, I keep saying the Karate Kid special. It's going to come very soon. Just kind of organizing a time because that's going to actually have to set up as a Zoom call uh, that's going to be recorded, you know, melt it down into an audio version that you guys get. Um, so it's just kind of finding the time to sit down and sit across screen to screen with somebody and, and talk about it. Of course, the person we'll be talking to is the world's largest Karate Kid fan. The other show that I'm working on is a 90s version of, because this is 80s and 90s, so we're going to do something a little bit in the 90s, and we're going to be doing a lot of East Coast, West Coast rap, uh, a lot of those things that were going on at the time, Tupac and Biggie. It won't be a biography on those two, but it's going to be kind of a discussion from two people that I know that are very deep into that um, era of rap. And uh, can kind of give us some background about how things got going, where they started. It'll be a type of thing where I'm just going to have a timeline of questions set up and I'm going to let these guys go. And that's also going to be a Zoom call, meld it down into an auto audio file. So um, that will take a little bit of time to kind of set up. I've got two people that will be coming for that. So we'll be doing that. So we've got uh, the Karate Kid episode coming. We've got a, I hate to say uh, gangster rap. You know, I mean, I guess that's really what it was in the 90s. But the East Coast versus West Coast rap situation, all the way into the deep end of Biggie and Tupac and all of those things. And we'll also uh, got an episode that's coming up that is kind of a bonus episode because I was off a week. So this bonus episode, which will be probably, I would imagine, will be released around the same time as this one, uh, is a bonus episode that's on Max uh, Max Headroom. <laughs> And you can't do an entire episode on Max Headroom. It's just once you get into the history of Max Headroom and trying to understand it, it can be a little bit of a laborious episode. So we're going to be talking about blending a little bit of the history of Max Headroom and an incident that happened in 1987 called the Max Headroom incident. And you may or may not remember it, but uh, go look at that bonus episode. It should be up very shortly if it's not. And enjoy that because it's a really, really neat thing that I forgot about until actually somebody mentioned it on a Facebook page. And I thought, I need to go back and kind of research that and see what that was about. Because it was really super, super interesting. And I think you'll find it extremely interesting as well. Speaking of that, I just wanted to uh, mention that uh, we are on Facebook pages uh, constantly talking and posting episodes. Of course, we're on Podbean, we're on iTunes, we're on Google Play, we're on Pandora, we're everywhere where podcasts are, um, and we'll be continuing to grow our uh, platform. So hopefully you guys are sharing us, uh, telling other people about us, it means a lot, it really does help to grow the show um, and to serve a greater good. But I wanted to thank uh, Retro 80s, as well as um, Forever 1980s, 80s Life, uh, 1980s child and those are the places where I pretty much hang out oh and the ultimate 80s page as well so those are places that I hang out uh, talk about 80s and stuff man listen if you're on Facebook these pages are amazing they really are I wouldn't say that just to sell it to you there's I don't get anything out of it they just let me post the uh, podcast here and there on their page but it's a great place to go and talk about 80s and 90s, people post toys, people post music videos, they you know have trivia stuff, 
it's a lot of fun. And I'm telling you, with the craziness and the, of the world that we're dealing with right now, we don't go into all of that. We don't do politics. We might do a little religion tonight, but there's not going to be a religious tone to it with Heritage USA. But with all the craziness in the world, it's it's important. I feel like it's extremely important for your soul, for your well-being, for your contentment, for your happiness, to step away from a lot of the madness and all the craziness going on, no matter how you feel about it, and reminisce back into a happier time. Have fun with yourself. Don't always take everything so serious. Don't always get so involved in, in this whirlwind of things going on. I know a lot of people, and a lot of people now, especially young people, are kind of feeling depressed and down. And uh, if you're feeling that way, these are the kind of things that you need to do. We need to, we need to talk about the 80s and 90s and good times and remember those times and how much fun we had because life's not over. We've still got a long way to go. And by many accounts in science, we're living in the greatest time in history, but our perception is just really, really, really negative. So uh, if I can offer you anything, I offer you this show and the idea that um, there was a good time before now, there'll be a good time after this, even with the COVID shots and the crazy things going on. It will be okay, guys, I promise. But anyway, I appreciate you guys being here. It means a lot. I'm hoping that you're enjoying the episodes. Please message me if you've got some topics you like and you would like to see done on this um, podcast. I'll be happy to do it. I'm always looking for ideas. I like to do things close to anniversaries if I can. It just helps with marketing on like uh, Twitter and whatnot. Also, yeah, please, uh, you know, visit us on Twitter. We're, we're there. We're the 21 Years Podcast. You can find us. Uh, just typing in 21 Years Podcast. We do a lot of things there. Right now we're having a battle royal, and I need some more votes on that, so please go follow. But we're doing a battle royal of greatest American rock bands, and they have to be between 1980. Well, not really start it between 1980 and 2001, but really active between 1980 and 2001. Um, kind of, you know, Aerosmith's counts in that. Um, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers count in that. Even though they were kind of before the 80s, you know, they kind of gained some steam in the 80s and 90s. And I think some of their stuff is is even more well known in the 80s and 90s. So, you know, go and help us battle it out and figure it out. We've got a lot of 90s bands and a lot of 80s bands there. Let's find out who the number one American, American rock band, okay, do of all time. And that's really, really difficult. I mean, you got to get the Stones in there and U2's got to be in there and... You know, the Beatles, have, I mean, it's, well, I guess with what we're doing, the Beatles wouldn't be there, but you've got a lot, I guess the Stones could be, but it's just too broad, too broad. So I said, let's just do American. American becomes a little bit harder. You know, you have Kiss, you have the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you've got uh, Molly Crew, you got Van Halen, my personal choice for winner of greatest American rock band. Um, some people feel like it's Queen's right. Some people feel like it's Creed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't think it's Creed. But anyway, go and vote. It's a lot of fun. We'll do things like that. We'll do projects like that all the time. And I think you really enjoy it. So go follow those Facebook pages. You'll find us on there goofing around. And go follow us on Twitter. And as always, you know, push us on to your friends. You know, like a drug pusher. Push push us on your friends. We we really need more people to follow. It's it's just a lot of fun to do, and I don't know. You guys make it happen, so I'm going to put that responsibility on you to do. <laughs> but um, tonight's episode is really about a lot of things. 
It starts in 1977 with the third largest amusement park behind Disneyland and Disney World. It was alive and it was thriving. It was built on 2,300 acres in Fort Mill, South Carolina, just 20 minutes south of Charlotte, North Carolina, and operated until 1989. By 1986, this theme park welcomed over 6 million guests a year. What made this park so different, though? It was a Christian-themed water amusement park, and the forces behind its existence were two superstars in the world of Christianity, Jim Baker and his wife, Tammy. Now, as you guys know, we don't do biographies. That's not what this is about. You can go read biographies all you want. You can go on the biography channel and, and, you know, do all that. That's not what we do here. Here we discuss certain behind the stories. And Jim and Tammy raised hundreds of millions of dollars through their PTL club or Praise the Lord club. It was a broadcast which they started from a large abandoned furniture store in North Carolina. The PTL club had grown tremendously based on the Baker's popularity from a smaller show on satellite with Oral Roberts called the Christian Broadcast Network. Jim and Tammy got their fame hosting a children's show filled with puppets, corny jokes, and sing-alongs. Jim and Tammy would talk to puppets and have conversations with children in the audience. They were charismatic, funny, and convincing. The show garnered praise from fellow Christian leaders. They became so popular that they hosted the channel's 700 Club, a fundraising effort to convince 700 viewers to commit to sending $10 a month to keep Christian Broadcast Network on the air when it began having financial trouble. The effort was extremely successful, raising millions and keeping CBN on the air for decades. Eventually, in 1974, the Bakers ventured out on their own, though, and quickly they were in the big time, hosting their own PTL club, which was designed like a night TV talk show similar to The Tonight Show. They interviewed Christian leaders, singers, and even well-known personalities like Mr. T and Mickey Rooney. As their fame grew and as more networks carried the PTL club on cable television, Jim Baker realized his dream to build a Christian Disneyland. To raise the money for Heritage USA, the Bakers knew they would have to be relentless in gaining donations from viewers by ruthless and unethical means. Jim Baker had earned a following from older Christians and would time his request for donations around the time of the month that Social Security checks were being issued. He had a counting room. It was the lifeblood of Jim Baker's dream. It was a small counting room inside a pyramid-shaped executive compound on the Heritage grounds. By the mid-80s, the Daily Mail would sometimes bring in more than $200,000. Five employees cut open envelopes and counted the take, and at 3 p.m. sharp, an armored car arrived to haul the cash away. One of the biggest ways the Bakers raised money for Heritage USA was offering lifetime membership to their loyal followers. Lifetime membership consisted of a $1,000 commitment in which the donor would receive an annual three-night stay at the soon-to-be-built Grand Heritage Hotel. Bakers sold more than 66,000 of these lifetime memberships for a hotel that was being built to have only 500 rooms. The park was built by Roe Messner, who was already well known as a contractor and had built over 1,700 megachurches in the United States. Messner's crew broke ground and quickly constructed a $65 million, 500-room Grand Heritage Hotel, which was $22 million more than it actually cost to build. $49 $49 million was spent for Heritage Towers, in which only $11 million was used to construct the towers. Additionally, Main Street USA, an outdoor shopping complex, the Heritage Village Church, where services were held, as well as a 400-unit campground were built. The property also included the Jerusalem Theater built for concerts. Conference facilities were housed in the large King's Castle. And that's not all. 
They also had a skating rink, prayer and counseling service, cable television production studios, Bible and evangelism schools, visitor retreat housing, staff and volunteer housing, timeshares, and the Heritage Island Water Park and Recreational Facilities. The park employed over 2,500 employees. The park itself for Christians had a lot to offer, but began to have some issues when the 66,000 lifetime members cashed in on their free three-night stays at the Grand Hotel throughout the first two years. The problem was, of course, there wasn't enough rooms. Many lifetime members were never able to get their annual three-night stay. Things also began to close in on the Bakers when the FCC was unhappy that the Bakers were funding a very lavish lifestyle on the money they collected on television airwaves. According to the Charlotte Observer newspaper, they were able to infiltrate the Bakers' financial records and do an expose on the couple. A 1982 report detailed $350,000 that Baker had raised for foreign missions while telling viewers he needed the money to spread the gospel in Korea, Cyprus, and Brazil, most of which was then spent back home. Overall, the Bakers only gave 3% of the donations to these causes. The report also stated that evidence indicated over a period of years Mr. and Ms. Baker or their agents repeatedly used viewer contributions for personal expenses without properly accounting for them. One ex-executive told the FCC staff that he witnessed the Bakers using PTL petty cash funds for personal shopping sprees. There was testimony that the Bakers used ministry money to make a $6,000 down payment on a 43-foot drifter houseboat to buy a $2,500 mink coat for Tammy and to buy Jim a Corvette. Of course, Baker denied any wrongdoing. The Charlotte Observer disclosed the Baker's compensation at $4.6 million in 1984, quite a jump from their original $35,000 each that they received from the Christian Broadcast Network when they were starting out. The disclosure shocked many viewers and staffers who remember how the Bakers defended themselves in the past against charges of high living. Weeks after the Bakers bought their $449,000 Palm Spring, California home, Baker told viewers that he and Tammy had given nearly everything to a ministry facing yet another financial crunch. Tammy Baker said, I have offered to sell everything I own because things really don't mean that much when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Things begin to get worse when the IRS took notice as well. A report released by the IRS found that $1.3 million was used for the Baker's personal benefit from 1980 to 1983. However, it's believed that the Reagan administration felt it was bad press to pursue a popular religious organization which held many of their conservative voter base. After escaping the FCC and IRS investigations, things weren't going so well with the Baker's marriage. It had become obvious to Jim that Tammy had begun to find herself infatuated with her record producer, Gary Paxton. It also distressed Paxton's wife, Karen, who said she became distraught as she watched her husband pay more and more attention to Tammy as the Paxton's marriage was rambling towards divorce. Paxton, a popular songwriter in the past, said he moved to Nashville and had a religious conversion and resumed his career in the world of gospel. He had written a gospel tune, and it was one that Jim loved, and thus set up Paxton crossing paths with the Bakers. Tammy was the TV evangelist's wife who had never walked on the wild side. She yearned for respect through her dream singing. He knew how to make it happen for her. To her, Gary Paxson symbolized the freedom she never had. Knowing her background and how she was raised, it was real liberation for her. A different lifestyle, the music world, the world of entertainment which she fell in love with. Gary and Tammy were spending hours together alone, sometimes all night, in studio recording sessions. According to Karen Paxson, Gary Paxton set about producing Tammy's albums in the late 70s, 
He was struggling to transform the preacher's wife he fondly called Lady Bird into a performer no one would laugh at. Tammy began to fly to Nashville often to work with Paxton on her album. Gary Paxton insists that they were just friends, never more than that. But he did concede that the relationship at times got too close for comfort. But rumors began to float back to Charlotte, North Carolina, where Jim Baker was absorbed in building his multi-million dollar PTL television network and expanding his 2,300-acre Heritage USA resort. Baker conceded that he was worried about losing the affection of his wife and was hurt to find out that his wife might be even interested in another man, even if it was just a close friendship. But Tammy was lonely, and her husband wasn't paying her any attention. It was a blow to Jim Baker's masculinity that his wife had to find another man to talk to. It was a natural thing for him to try and show his masculinity back. A jealous and depressed Baker met John Wesley Fletcher, a traveling evangelist. After confiding in Fletcher about his concerns on Tammy and Paxton, Fletcher told Baker, If you really want to get back at your wife and make her jealous, the way to do it is to have an affair with another woman. A convinced Baker inquired how he would even go about doing that. Soon, Fletcher arranged for church secretary Jessica Hahn to meet Baker. Hahn was a big fan of Jim Baker and was told by Fletcher that she could meet him and would fly her out to South Carolina to meet the famed televangelist. Details vary, but the main point is that Jim Baker had sex with Hahn in an attempt to make his wife Tammy jealous. But according to Hahn, the details were much worse. On the afternoon of December 6, 1980, she was a 21-year-old church secretary. She claimed she was drugged and raped by Baker and John Wesley Fletcher. Han was given a $279,000 payoff for her silence, which was paid with PTL funds through Baker's associate, Roe Mesner. The same Roe Mesner who helped Baker with the building of Heritage USA, where he also overcharged by millions to hide funds and a kickback to Jim Baker. Tammy also began to abuse prescription pills. There were reports that not only was she hallucinating, but also stripping herself nude in front of friends. Two months later, the Bakers disclosed to their viewers in a videotape message that Tammy was being treated for drug dependency. Baker, who made all of the financial decisions for the PTL organization, allegedly kept two sets of books to conceal the accounting irregularities. Reports from the Charlotte Observer investigated and published a series of articles regarding the PTL organization's finances. Among the newspaper's findings, that Jim Baker had paid 279000 to Jessica Hahn, a church secretary. The financial mismanagement uncovered by the newspaper was enough to get authorities to notice. And take note of the Bakers again. On March 19, 1987, after the disclosure of the payoff to Hahn, Baker resigned from the PTL. Although he acknowledged that he had a sexual encounter with Hahn at a hotel room in Clearwater, Florida, he does deny raping her. Baker was the subject of homosexual and bisexual allegations made by John Wesley Fletcher, the pastor who arranged Hahn and Baker's meeting in the first place. When Jim Baker resigned from the PTL, he turned to Jerry Falwell, another well-known televangelist and minister, to step in and run the ministry until the Hahn scandal blew over. However, what Falwell didn't know was by this time, after the lavish spending, projects, payroll, and mishandlings of the PTL, it was in serious debt. So badly in debt that the PTL as an entity was losing $2 million per month. Soon Falwell would turn on the Bakers after digging into their finances. At a press conference in May 1987, Falwell said the Bakers were no longer fit to lead the PTL. He was accusing Jim Baker of being secretly gay and claimed that Tammy Faye Baker made a long list of demands in order for them to give up plans to come back to the PTL. It included large annual salaries, two cars, a maid for a year, and a furnished house on the lake, among other things. On April 28, 1987, Falwell barred Baker from returning to the PTL. 
Later that summer, as donations declined sharply in the wake of the Baker resignation and the end of the Baker's PTL Club TV program, Falwell raised $20 million to keep PTL solvent and took a promised waterslide ride at Heritage USA. It wasn't enough, though, to keep the PTL or Heritage USA afloat, so Falwell and the remaining members of the PTL board resigned in October 1987. They did this after trying to file bankruptcy on the amusement park, but ultimately fell short, stating that a ruling from a bankruptcy court judge made rebuilding the ministry virtually impossible. In response to the scandal, Falwell called Baker a liar, embezzler, a sexual deviant, and, quote, the greatest scab and cancer on the face of Christianity in 2,000 years of church history. The government began reviewing PTL's finances as well as the spending and compensation of the Bakers and other top PTL officials. At one point, the Bakers' vast portfolio included several homes, a private jet, two Rolls Royces, a Mercedes-Benz, expensive clothing, and an air-conditioned doghouse. It was quite a lengthy investigation, but ultimately culminated in significant indictments for Jim Baker and all of his lieutenants. Baker was charged with fraud among other charges. According to his prosecution, Baker's fraud trial, Tens of thousands of memberships were sold, but only one 500-room hotel was ever finished. Baker sold exclusive memberships, which exceeded capacity, raising more than twice the money needed to build the hotel. Much of the money paid Heritage USA's operating expenses, and Baker kept $3.4 million for himself. After a 16-month federal grand jury probe, Baker was indicted in 1988 on eight counts of mail fraud, 15 counts of wire fraud, and one count of conspiracy. In 1989, after a five-week trial, which began on August 28th in Charlotte, North Carolina, a jury found him guilty on all 24 counts. Judge Robert Porter sentenced Baker to 45 years in federal prison and imposed a $500,000 fine. The United States Court of Appeals upheld Baker's conviction on the fraud and conspiracy charges, but voided Baker's 45-year sentence and the $500,000 fine, and ordered a new sentencing hearing in February 1991. A sentence reduction hearing was held on November 16, 1992, and Baker's sentence was reduced to eight years. In August 1993, he was transferred to a minimum security federal prison in Georgia. Baker was paroled in July 1994 after serving almost five years of his sentence. His son Jay spearheaded a letter-writing campaign to the parole board advocating leniency. Baker was released from Federal Bureau of Prisons Custody on December 1, 1994, owing $6 million to the IRS. Tammy stood by Jim through the scandal, including several instances where she cried on camera. In 1989, Baker was sentenced to 45 years in prison on 24 fraud and conspiracy charges, and in 1992, while Baker was still in prison, Tammy filed for divorce. She remarried the developer who built Heritage USA, Roe Mesner, who died in prison from cancer after serving time for bankruptcy fraud sentenced to 27 months. Tammy would go on to do other appearances until she died of inoperable lung cancer on July 20, 2007. Jim Baker remarried and continued to preach after his release from prison. Baker's revived show features a number of ministers who bill themselves as prophets. He now says that the PTL stands for Prophets Talking Loud. His show has a millennial survivalist focus and sells buckets of freeze-dried food to the audience in preparation for the end of days. In his 1996 book, I Was Wrong, he admitted that the first time he actually read the Bible all the way through was in prison. Baker began selling cabins in Missouri's Ozark Mountains, telling followers the area will be the safest place to live when the apocalypse hits. Prices for the cabins weren't disclosed, but you can rent one for as little as 85 per night. Beyond his real estate efforts, Baker is also selling 28-ounce Warfare water bottles, which he says filters out contaminants. 
Viewers can buy a half dozen of them for just $150. And whatever happened to Jessica Hahn? Well, throughout the 80s, she did multiple interviews, guest starred on TV shows like Married with Children, was in music videos like Sam Kennison's Wild Thing, and even posed for Playboy for a reported $1 million. And an odd twist is now estimated that Jessica Hahn is worth more than Jim Baker, the televangelist that she claimed took part in drugging her and raping her at 21 years old. In December 2017, Hahn disclosed that she is married to Frank Lloyd, is no longer active in show business, and lives on a ranch north of Los Angeles. Hahn remains a committed Christian to this day. And finally, what happened to the Christian Disneyland Heritage USA? It's a decrepit piece of land that's absolutely haunting to see in pictures. It was hit by Hurricane Hugo in 1989, further destroying the buildings that once made up the Christian amusement park. Most of the land that Heritage USA once sat on is now housing developments and commercial buildings. Only the abandoned Upper Room Chapel and Heritage Grand Hotel now remain. In the end, I believe religion can be an amazing way to connect with something bigger, the universe, or divine creator. But people are imperfect, and human nature comes into play and greed takes over. We see it in CEOs, politicians, even friends and family. Preachers aren't much different. They're still human, and although we all have good intentions, a little fame and a lot of money changes people. You begin to justify what you know is wrong so you feel better. But in Jim Baker's case, I really think he's an opportunist who took advantage of people with his charisma. He was scheming off the top of donations to fraud to actively taking advantage of senior citizens planning his telethons around the time senior citizens were beginning their social security checks. After prison, we saw him take an opportunity to prey on the fears of preppers, making himself an authority on God and the end of the world. He was so convincing he sold products marked up beyond reasonable prices. But people paid. And is that Jim Baker's fault? Yes. Obviously, he has no conscience, even after serving time in prison. Some criminals look like criminals. Some don't look like criminals at all. We call those wolves in sheep's clothing, or in this case, a vampire dressed as a shepherd. Heritage USA was actually a wonderful idea, a Christian theme park for religious families to go and enjoy some family time in an atmosphere that made them feel comfortable. And why not? There's nothing wrong with wanting to have a family vacation that fits your lifestyle. The problem with the execution of Heritage USA was, well, everything. It was built on dishonesty. The visionary was crooked. The builder was crooked. The buildings themselves were built dishonestly to hide kickbacks by overvaluating the cost to build every single structure. The park made $125 million a year from honest people to a tax-exempt entity that counted its millions in dark back rooms like gangsters running a numbers game. Heritage USA was a well-intentioned vision, destroyed and demolished by greed, jealousy, and scandal. Listen, folks, I appreciate you so much for listening to the episode tonight, Heritage USA. Hopefully you had a little bit of uh, fun with that. It was kind of a little deeper, darker story, but I know everybody kind of remembers the Baker scandal, but maybe you forget the details. But the main focus was basically Heritage USA and the fact that you know, a Christian theme park was the third largest park in America and that it was extremely successful and it did make money. It's just that it was so mishandled and the people behind it were just so crooked and honestly terrible that it was bound to just crash and burn. And it's sad because I do think it had some incredible intentions to it. But as we see with so many things, uh, as we said earlier, money and greed does change people so much. And sadly, it did here. Don't forget to check us out on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, everywhere where your uh, podcasts are being uh, distributed. 
We're a part of all of that. Hopefully you guys will find us there, share us again. I hate to hawk you on that, but it means so much when you do and we grow. Um, so please share the episodes, you know, you know, share them to a friend or whatever and tell them to follow us. And, and it would be much, much appreciated if you did that. Uh, we'll be back next week with something. Don't forget, we're going to do a bonus episode with the Max Headroom incident. It's going to be a lot of fun, but it'll be a super short episode, but just kind of a filler because we need to get some more episodes going and we missed last week. So I'm trying to get everything up and up and going uh, and update it for you so that you'll have plenty of content to listen to and share. Um, as always, it means so much for you guys to be here. Thank you again. I can't thank you all enough. Uh, please have a great week. Be good to each other and just focus on all the positives in your life. One little thing at a time. I promise if you focus on just the little bitty exciting things that are coming up in your life, you will learn to be happier overall. I hope you all stay safe and well. I'm El Dangeroso. This is 21 Years. Good night. Good night.